My God is so good, amen? Amen. I tell you, God has given us gifts and ways that we can enjoy deep truths about God and about uh, His salvation, and one of those ways is through worshiping through song, and so uh, I'm so thankful for our songs this morning and how they reflect the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that He is the only way that we can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So I'm so thankful that God not only makes a way, but He makes it clear, and that way is through Him. You know, I love to hear other people's conversations. It's revealing about where they are in their thought, and maybe where they are in their life, and their attitudes, just kind of Maybe see a group of people having a conversation, just kind of sneak up on it. You guys ever do that? You don't do that. I used to love to do that with our kids and their friends, you know, because it really helped me to know what was going on in their lives. But to kind of come up and hear hear the back and forth conversations and things that are going on is important. Uh, so I can imagine that after Jesus' death, that there were a lot of conversations going on between different groups of people. Now, I can imagine in the general population people that were present in Jerusalem that day that there were certain conversations about what had happened. Uh, you know, there was a great multitude of people at the cross where Jesus was being crucified. Many of the people that were there were critical of Jesus Christ. They taunted Him. They, uh, uh, they, they called out slurs and they called out uh, things that were uh, not complimentary of Jesus Christ. They challenged Him to come off the cross if, you really are the Son of God. And so uh, their conversation was certainly one that didn't please the Lord. And uh, Yet maybe after it was all done, they had a different thought about it. You know, there was a Roman centurion that was present at the cross. And I'm sure that when he was instructing the soldiers to drive the nails in the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, that he was probably maybe just apathetic about what was happening. He probably had done this many, many times and really didn't care so much about what was going on. Just doing his duty. And having that conversation with his, his uh, soldiers, those who were under him. But yet as the time wore on, he began to change his mind and his thoughts. And, uh, his conversation went something like this. When uh, he saw Jesus and how Jesus endured the cross and how he endured the insults with great grace and forgiveness that he said, surely this must be the Son of God. This conversation changed. But yet, can you imagine those that were walking away when it was all said and done, and they were having those conversations? Maybe some of those in that great group of people said, you know, boy, this was a tragedy. This man shouldn't have been crucified. Or maybe there was others, you know, he got what he deserved. Boaster. He got what was coming to him. They didn't realize. That was that group that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing. And there may be others who were just kind of nonchalant, non-caring and said very little about what happened. But there was another group also that I'm sure had a, 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 a long conversation. That was his disciples, his followers. And I can imagine that their conversation may have went something like this. What are we going to do now? God help us. We're lost. Uh, They're going to come after us next. We've got to go and we have to hide. Uh, We have to be quiet. 
And so their conversation might have been sourced out of their fear and their anxiousness and their anxiety. You know, when we're fearful and anxious about things, our conversation can be absolutely contrary to who we really are. And I believe that that was the case of the disciples. That weren't who they were. That wasn't who they were. As a matter of fact, in a few days later, they had emerged out of the upper room and out of seclusion, bold and powerful. Not afraid, not intimidated, but willing to lay down their life for Jesus Christ. But maybe right after the crucifixion, they were a little fearful. And their conversation was affected by that. But there was another group also that was having a conversation. And that was the religious leaders. And I can really imagine that they were, they were kind of celebrating high fives all around, guys. We accomplished what we set out to do. We crucified this Jesus. We, we, we really put together our scheme and we plotted so uh, eloquently and we carried off this thing. And now he's dead and our worries are over. Um, we don't have to worry about him anymore or all the challenges he was to our authority and to our power. We, we put that behind us now because he's dead. <laughs> Little did they know. Right? Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And so they were having this conversation, but somewhere probably in that conversation in the back of their mind, but wait a minute. What if what he said is true? Or what if some of those disciples of his come along and they stole the body away? And they could say that, hey, he's alive like he said he would. And so they hatched another plot. And they decided a way that they felt very secure that they could keep Jesus in the grave. And so they went to Pilate and they asked Pilate, they said, Pilate, here's what we want to do. You, you know, just in case. Do you ever have those backup plans? <laughs> you know, if you had faith in your original plan, why do you need a backup plan? <laughs> you know, a lot of people claim to believe in Jesus Christ for that. They want a backup plan. They really don't want to follow him. They really don't want to trust him. But just in case, this, this heaven and hell thing is true. I want some insurance, right? Uh, so they had this backup plan. And so they, they hatched this backup plan. They said, you know, we'll, we'll go to Pilate. We'll ask for, for some help to secure the tomb for a certain length of time. And so they did that and they went to Pilate and they got permission to do this. And here's what happened. All because they wanted to keep Jesus in the grave. And I, I want to say this to you because that conversation is still going on today. It's a cultural thing. It's a worldwide thing. The world today and unbelievers are saying, how can we keep this Jesus in the grave? How can we bury this message of Christ in the gospel? How can we stifle the church and quench the the voices of those believers. And so the world has kind of followed the plans of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we see it unfolding in our world in our time today. But listen to what that plan was. 
Follow along with me if you would in Matthew 27. I want to read for you in verses 62 through 66. And then we'll pray and come back and see what this plan looks like. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember when he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third third night. Uh, And and, and lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Bow with me if you would. Father, we thank you today for the celebration of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ's resurrection. Father, on this day many years ago, that Christ Jesus came forth from death to life. And doing that very great, amazing miracle. Father, as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, our hopes rose from the dead in Him. And we're so thankful. Father, thank You that we can come here together collectively and that we can praise a risen Savior. Father, thank You that His life is our life and His resurrection is ours. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you help us to see that there were some, even in Jesus' day, that never wanted to see that resurrection. And yet, Father, we live amongst many today who want to see that same resurrection covered up, keeping Jesus in the grave. Father, we pray and we ask you to give us wisdom and understanding. So your word would truly penetrate our hearts this morning. And Father, we would see Jesus in a new way today. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. You know, as you begin to see the plot that those Pharisees begin to hatch out, it's uh, amazing how similar it is to what we see that's going on in our world today. You know, one of those things that we need to realize about the resurrection and what the Pharisees were trying to do is that keeping Jesus in the grave nullifies the accomplishments of the resurrection. If they could keep him in the grave, if they could somehow stop what was inevitable happening, that the message of Jesus Christ would be quenched or it wouldn't have any validity to it or no power to it. And so they begin to say and begin to think in their mind, what if this thing really does happen? Or what if this thing is even faked? Or uh, what if it was is, is, uh, done by his disciples? That look at the ramifications, they thought, that this message would have life and power. And so when they hatched out this plan to keep Jesus in the grave, they saw how it would kind of nullify what the resurrection would accomplish. Well, I understand that. What does the resurrection really accomplish? Uh, I, I, I mean, when we begin to think about it, what does it mean that we have a risen Savior? 
Or what does it mean that our Lord died, was buried, and on the third day He rose again? It has great implications for our faith in Jesus Christ. It has great testimony to the hope that we have in Him. It it, it gives life and validation to our Christian faith and our Christian beliefs that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. One of those things that the resurrection does is that it, it vindicates the proof of Jesus Christ. In other words, it gives proof to our Savior and what He said about Himself. One of the things that it proves about Jesus Christ is that He is the Savior. That Jesus over and over throughout the New Testament, uh, throughout the Gospel accounts, told His disciples that, hey, listen, here's how this thing is going to go. Is that I'm going to go and be turned over to the hands of sinful men. That once that turning over to those men happens, that they're going to crucify me. And I'm going to be placed in a grave and that I'll be there for three days and at at the end of that third day, I'll be raised from the dead. And so Jesus staked his integrity on, the resur- on his resurrection. He, he, he staked his credibility that he was Savior, Messiah on the resurrection. So Jesus put his hopes on the resurrection. And guess what happened? He was raised from the dead. He was vindicated for everything that he said, everything that he claimed to be. So now you and I can look back and know that we have a trustworthy Savior. That He did what He said He would do. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that when I bring all my problems and I cast my cares on the Lord because He cares for me, you know what happens? That I know that I'm casting my care on someone I can trust. That I'm I'm casting my cares on someone that I know that cares enough for me to die for me. And certainly if He would die for me, He would take care of these other needs that I have, right? Amen? I mean, that's exciting for a believer to have that confidence in a Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can trust Him. And so the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is trustworthy, that He's Savior. It proves the accuracy of the Scriptures, doesn't it? Because not only did Jesus say that He would be raised from the dead, but many of the prophets long before Jesus' time said that He would be crucified, He would be raised from the dead. So now all of a sudden, it's not only Jesus' credibility on the line, it's the Word of God's credibility on the line. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then the Word of God wouldn't be credible. But because He is raised from the dead, it is. You see, when you think about the cross, why is that so important that the Bible's accurate? It's because it's our source of revelation about God. I don't know about you, but God's a perfect being, and I want a perfect revelation about the perfect being that, that addresses my imperfect life in person. I want to know that the Bible that I trust, I believe, that I memorize, that I pattern my life after is credible and accurate. And I've got that proof through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible is important. Listen, God wants to speak to you today. And He wants to speak to you through His Word. I want to encourage you today, if you're wanting to know about Jesus Christ, or if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you want to know more about Him, the source for that knowledge and understanding is the Word of God. And look, I want to encourage you today. God wants to speak to you directly. Now, you know, a lot of times we'll get out the Bible and we'll read something and then we'll flip it over uh, and we'll, we'll grab up another book and we'll read what somebody says about the Bible. Listen, God doesn't need an interpreter to speak to you. He doesn't need a mediator to speak to you. But He, he knows how to speak to you directly through His Word. So He wants to do that. How can we be so uh, comfortable with that? Because we know the Bible is right. 
because it verified Jesus' resurrection. It proves not only the Scripture and the Savior, but it talks about His sacrifice. It proves a sufficient sacrifice. John spoke about that today. He quoted Jesus Christ. I, I thought he was going to quote Jesus wept, but I got the count. That's only two, two words in it. Uh, but, but he quoted the passage where Jesus says, finished. It, it, it's finished. That, that it's done. That that sufficient sacrifice was offered for our sins. He is the Lamb of God that's slain for the sins of the world. And His sacrifice is sufficient. There's nothing that you've ever done. There's nothing that I've ever done. And there's no number of times that we've done it that Jesus Christ will not forgive us. Maybe He's speaking to your heart today. You say, well, I don't know. How how do I know that it's Jesus speaking to me? Listen, I want to tell you what. If if you're uncomfortable with the fact that you think that you're separated from God, then He's speaking to you. Because if He wasn't, you wouldn't know that. If you're uncomfortable with your life and your relationship with God right now, He is speaking to you. How do I know that? Because if you you weren't feeling that way, then God wouldn't be speaking to you. And you wouldn't know. So, let me just say to you this. Sacrifice that He made for us is sufficient. It'll take care of our needs. And, and when Jesus finished that, that work, what did He do? There was no, no more need for Him to be there. And so God raised Him from the dead. Listen, if it required more of Jesus Christ to suffer more for our sins, He'd be suffering right now if that's what it took. But when that work was finished, God raised Him from the dead. That's proof of a sufficient sacrifice. You see, the resurrection vindicates proof. Not only that, but the resurrection validates power. When we think about the power, God is powerful enough to do all things. There's not a need in this church house today that God can't handle. There's not a complex problem that you think that you have or you're going through today that Jesus Christ can't take care of. There's no weight that you're carrying that if you'll let Him, He'll come under that weight with you and He'll bear it together with you. There's not a a set of circumstances that Jesus Christ will run away from. You can't scare Him with anything that's going on in your life. Because He knows about it. And He's powerful enough to do something about it today. And so He's proven that in the resurrection. You see, the Bible says this. Paul was speaking about the resurrection. And he was giving the Christians at Rome some information about the resurrection. And he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, about the resurrection, listen to what he says. He says, but if the Spirit of Him, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Him, the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead all, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul said it twice in one sentence. He says the Spirit who dwells in you. Right? And so what he's saying, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, He'll give life to your mortal body. Now listen, Paul was narrowly in this passage of Scripture speaking about the resurrection. But let me tell you, the truth of the indwelling of the Spirit of God is is universal for every child of God. Every believer here today, if you've turned to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, And if you've confessed to Him your sin, and you've invited Him into your life, the Bible says you have new life and the Spirit of God lives in you. And and Paul is saying here, this Spirit in you has the power to raise you up. I want to tell you what. Now look, Paul was 
focusing narrowly on the resurrection. But let me tell you, let's take that a little bit further. This spirit who dwells in us has the power to raise us from the dead. If he has the power to raise us from the dead, you know what? He has the power to take care of our problems. He has the power to give us courage, hope. He has the power to, to, to give us a sense of, 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 of peace in the midst of the raging storms in our life. That same spirit lives in us. The resurrection not only validates power of God, but listen, the resurrection verifies the promises of God. Those promises that God gives us. You see, the Bible says this about the resurrection. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul is saying here that Jesus is, is risen from the dead and He's become the example of every other resurrection that's going to happen after Him. In other words, He's the example for our resurrection. Wednesday night we were talking about in our Bible study about what does that mean, you know, if Jesus Christ is the first fruits, what's that really mean? Uh, in other words, He becomes the example of all other resurrections that will take place. You know what that means? Do you want to know what you're going to be like when you're raised from the dead? Well, what's Jesus like? Right? Do you want to know what you're going to be able to do and what you're going to be able to enjoy after your resurrection, after your new body, after you've received that resurrected body? Then what did Jesus do? Because He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And so the resurrection validates this promise. Christ was raised. Those that are going to follow are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So many passages in the Scripture talks about that. And so keeping Jesus in the grave nullifies everything uh, that's accomplished by the, uh, uh, by the resurrection. Now, let me give you a second thing. Keeping Jesus in the grave necess- uh, is, necessitates an attack on the resurrection. In other words, if, if our enemy is going to invalidate the work of Jesus Christ, then what does he have to do? He has to attack it. He, he has to come against it. And, and so, in, in, what, what did the scribes and Pharisees do? They came against Jesus Christ. They came against the message. They came against the tomb. They came against His resurrection. Now look, we're living in a culture today that's, com- that's coming against the church. That comes against believers. That comes against Christianity and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See it all around. So it's not so much evident at Christmas and Easter. But I want to tell you what, they pour it on the rest of the time, don't they? So we have to be aware of that. And we have to be uh, understanding of the very thing. And so here's the request that these Pharisees had. They said uh, from Pilate, you know, give us a guard. And Pilate says, okay, take your guard and secure the tomb as best you can. And then in in verse uh, 66, they said, so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. You you, you see, the resurrection is attacked intellectually to begin with, in our thoughts. There's always a war for the thinking of this, this world and this culture. Always a battle going on for ideas and thoughts. And so what Satan wants to do is oppose the thinking of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and of Scripture and of God. He sets himself in opposition against God. The Bible talks about that very thing. Uh, it, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 about when we have times of temptation and those tempting thoughts come along. He says, bring him into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Because he says, bring every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
So there's a thinking in this world that wants to lift itself up and oppose the, the, the thinking and the wisdom of God. And so that, that's what we have to be aware of today in, in our lives as believers, that there's those who oppose what God says and what God reveals to us. And it comes in an intellectual way. Uh, they said uh, that, that you go and you make uh, the tomb secure. And so when we think about that intellectual attack on, on the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that these Pharisees come along and they, they didn't want to give even a hope of an idea that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And so they went, and anyone who would come by the tomb to see where Jesus was laying, you know what they'd see? In their minds and their thought, they'd see this great power guarding the tomb of Jesus Christ. Thinking, well, no way that He can be resurrected. You see, when we think about those things today, in our culture today, that our ideas and our thoughts and our beliefs are being attacked. We have to stand for what we know is the truth. Not only that, but the resurrection is attacked not only intellectually, but it's attacked through intimidation. See it all all around us in in our culture today. Uh, They said that they went and made the tomb secure, setting the... um, Excuse me, uh, uh, setting the guard. Uh, they set the, the guard on the tomb. You know what this guard would have been? A cohort of Roman soldiers. Uh, they would have been fully equipped. Uh, the, a big battle. Uh, the, one of the great uh, effects or one of the great um, assets that, that soldiers have in war is to look fierce. Look fierce. Shock and awe. The more fierce a soldier can look, then uh, the, the, the greater he's, he's effective. And so these soldiers were fierce in their dress and their armor and their stature. And so these fierce soldiers were guarding the tomb. So anybody that come along would look at that tomb and say, Oh my, uh, wow, it's, it's being guarded by these strong people. And it would be intimidating to anyone who come along and witness where Jesus was laying. See, the world wants to intimidate us into unbelief or into questioning our, our thoughts. That uh, it, it wants to uh, cause us to uh, uh, realize that uh, or to come to the place where we question our beliefs and things. And so often the world wants to uh, change uh, the focus uh, off of God onto something else. You see, these... these uh, chief uh, priests and Pharisees, when they came to Pilate, you know what they asked? They said, well, he said he was going to be raised from the dead, but what about those disciples? They may come along and steal his body. Well, they were taking the focus off of Jesus onto the disciples. And the world loves to do that today. You know, the world says, hey, we don't need God because we're so creative, we can create our own utopia. That through technology and, 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 and through ingenuity and through man's creativity, that we can create this world that's so great and people can live longer and all these kind of things. And so we really don't need religion. We don't need God. A lot of people bought into that. Problem is, no matter how much technology we produce or we invent, it never changes a human's heart because we're still sinners. And the only thing that can change that heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes it's through intimidation. Resurrection also is attacked uh, through uh, it's attacked institutionally. 
through institutions. You know, the, the way that they secured the tomb is that they, they come and, and they put a, not only soldiers there, but the Bible says they sealed it. They sealed And that seal would have been the seal of Rome because they asked Pilate for it. And, and the seal of Rome, people would have known that, that all, if, if this thing is sealed, that if I open that seal, I open it at, at the penalty of all the full weight and power of the Roman Empire. No, no greater power. You know, America, we're, we're a superpower today. But in ancient times, we're nowhere near what Rome was in the ancient world in being a superpower. And so what these Pharisees were doing, they were putting a seal on this tomb that says, I want you to know that the institution of the government of Rome says, you better not touch this tomb and it better not be open. How are we affected institutionally today like that as well? Well, if you look around the institutions today, uh, some, some of the uh, greatest opposition to Christianity today and opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and those who want to quieten the voices of believers today is often found in, in our higher education. I, I, I mean, in, in our higher institutions of learning. Yeah, you, you see, they've forgotten their roots. Because all these schools were founded by the church. And they've forgotten where they came from. And, and what their foundations are. And, and what morality is moored to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now all of a sudden, even these institute government. You know, our, our, our federal government would like at very best to, to quieten the voices of believers today. But institutionally, it would like to silence and take out Christianity from the marketplace, from where life happens. And so with all these things and all these attacks on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His disciples didn't roll the stone away. The women didn't roll the stone away. But God Himself rolled the stone away. Somebody made the comment this morning after our sunrise service that the reason the angels rolled the stone away or God rolled the stone away wasn't to let Jesus out, but was to let us look in so that we could see the proof of a resurrected Jesus Christ. He's alive today. And yet so often, keeping Jesus in the grave necessitates an attack on the resurrection. Our enemy... It's coming against. And then finally, real quickly, keeping Jesus in the grave is negative toward accepting the resurrection. You see, here's the motivation, isn't it? Is that those are outside of Christ or, or are our enemy that wants to oppose the resurrection or the knowledge of the resurrection does it all for one reason, so that people won't believe. You see, when, we, uh, when, when there's attacks on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it causes doubt. And... In, in the context of doubt, Satan flourishes. In our unbelief, our enemy has an advantage. And he'll come against us. And so that's why the resurrection is that. It, it, the attacks cause despair. When we turn away from the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, then all that's left, it's not hope, but it's despair. We can't get away. Where's, where's our future if it's not with Jesus Christ? Where's our, our life if it's not with Jesus Christ? 
What do we have left if not Jesus Christ? And then finally, attacks keep us from decisions. Making decisions in Jesus Christ. To believe in Him as our personal Lord and Savior. To trust Him as our, for our salvation. Every one of us are here this morning. There's always been a decision that God has called, called us to make. It's whether or not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when these truths about Christ are presented to us. What are we going to do with those truths? Are we going to believe them? We're going to trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That's the real thing, isn't it? To believe on Him. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, foundational to everything that Jesus was doing dying on the cross, buried in a tomb, raised from the dead, is God's love. His love. And He loved the people in this world so much that through His Son, Jesus Christ, He made a way for us to be saved. God may be calling you today to believe on Him, to trust Him, to confess to Him, to say to Him, Lord, I want that gift of salvation. I want to believe in You as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive from you that eternal life, the gift that you promised. You know, Jesus says that that He came to die for that privilege. We sang earlier to open up that gate, open up that door that way that we can walk through in faith and trust Him as our Savior. I want to ask you to bow with me this morning. We're going to close in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so 